I love my mother. Since the year 1992, I've called her at least once a week, usually on Saturday or Sunday morning, to tell her that. I love you, Mom. The calls also usually contain bland hellos, how are yous, I'm fines. You know, we'll talk about some family news, how's Janet, how's Uncle Bill doing. Once or twice a year, one of us will break down and we'll feel real emotion for a few seconds. But the rest of the time, we're just people dialing phones and saying the things that people say to one another when they want to connect. Hello? Hey, Mom, what's going on? Not too much. Just finished work for the day, for the week. What are you up to? I talked to Dad a couple months ago. He told me this thing where Lisette was trying to sell her home, and she was having trouble selling her home. And that you had told her something that apparently you and Eva do, which is you bury some sort of saint in the ground, and somehow that makes you... Yeah, St. Joseph. Google that. Google St. Joseph, and then you can see what it's all about. Google it. You bury it in the ground, and Eva has done this before, and it worked for her. So did Aunt Linda. Aunt Linda did it too. Aunt Linda did it. Eva did it. Aunt Linda did it twice, actually. It helps you sell your house. You can read up on it. I know you don't have any faith, so it might be difficult for you to uh, to read it. But it worked for Aunt Linda two times. It worked for Eva and some other people. So probably that was going to try it. Welcome to Heavily Pixelated, a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that games do for us. I'm Scott C. Jones. Video games traditionally end with a very melodramatic moment of conflict. This is known universally as a boss fight. It's where you as the player square off against the primary antagonist in the game. You are overmatched in the fight, but strong enough, just barely, to hold your own. You have enough strength, enough defense, enough intelligence, enough luck and stamina now. You have enough XP or experience now. You're ready. You are a tiny little pixelated protagonist confronting a usually oversized antagonist. This season, while trying to help other people tell their stories, I've also been quietly preparing myself to tell a story that I've needed to tell my whole life. And yes, that story involves my mother. And yes, it's also kind of a boss fight for me, a boss fight that I've been putting off for far too many years. And I'm not sure I can do it. I'm terrified to do it. I think that's part of the reason why I created the show without realizing that's why I created it. I wanted to create a forum where I could tell this story. And after spending months listening closely to Sarah and Dave, Graham, Shane, Kyle, Ashley, Sid, and Adam, they all were so brave on the show. And now it's my turn to be brave. This story begins with the blizzard of 1977. The snowdrifts were so huge that they covered the windows on one side of the house. My parents had a tiny AM clock radio that they woke up to every morning. I could hear it down the hall. The entire northeast was paralyzed. The roads were closed. We were snowed in. My parents had a very tense conversation about food, specifically how much food we had left. Are we trapped out here? I asked my mother. We're fine. 
she said. We had our own well. During the blizzard, the pump froze. My mother boiled water on the kitchen stove, and my father kept taking kettles of boiling water out to the pump house to try to unthaw the pipes. Inside the house, wrapped in blankets, we watched as my father, wearing his parka, carried kettles of boiling water out to the pump house. The parka with a circle of white fur around the rim of the hood, fur like a lion's mane. There was a kind of quiet panic in the house, a primal panic. I couldn't wait for summer to come, but what I didn't know was that there were much worse things ahead in the warmer summer months for me. Eventually, the water started flowing again, and eventually, mercifully, it stopped snowing. The great snowdrifts melted, and things went back to normal. This is the woods in upstate New York. There was a constant darkness in the woods, a perpetual darkness, even in the middle of summer on the hottest day when, when the sun is blazing. In the woods, there would be parts that were dark all the time, an inky black darkness. And I had a very active imagination the woods at night were even more menacing. I also watched a lot of horror movies. Monster movie matinee every Saturday afternoon, four o'clock, they would always show some classic horror movie. I loved those movies. I remember falling asleep at night with my blanket tucked around my neck and I did that so Dracula wouldn't be able to get to me. The movies made me more wary of the woods, wary of what might be out there, what, what could be watching us, you know, under the cover of darkness between the trees. I always thought there were things out there that could potentially hurt me. But the thing that actually came out of the woods, the thing that actually hurt me, wasn't a supernatural creature, you know, the mummy or werewolf, Dracula. It was a neighbor. He was a tall, lanky guy with curly hair. He and his family lived in the woods up behind us in a house that always seemed to be under construction. It was never quite finished. I mean, the roof was done, the windows were in, but the siding wasn't on the house, so there was still what looked like tar paper on the, on the outside. We visited them a couple of times. It was obvious that this man had been in the military. Photographs of him wearing formal military dress on the walls uh, of the home. Obviously, he was proud of his time in the service. His family was proud of his time in the service. I have no idea what he did for work. Uh, all I know is that in the summer and the fall, my brother and I were outside almost constantly. One day, he came to the house and he asked me if I wanted to go for a walk. And so I told my mother and she said, okay, fine. He and I went on a walk in the woods and I, I was flattered to be invited to go on this walk. Here was an adult who seemed to really value my company. And we walked deeper into the woods uh, between the creaking pine trees, the trunks of the pine trees covered with, with sap. At some point, I, I started to get nervous, and I said, we should go back. We're, we're going too far. We're getting too far away from, from the house. And uh, he said, let's go just a little bit further. There's something that I want to show you that I think you'll like. And I said, you know, my, my mom is going to worry. 
he said, she knows you're with me, so she won't worry. So we kept walking. And soon we came upon an, an abandoned trailer, a mobile home, and it was pretty run down, dilapidated. Half of it was crushed as if a giant had stepped on it. The walls were bowed out. We, we climbed inside. I was curious. I, I'd never even known this was out here. And my curiosity got the better of me, and so we went inside. There was old furniture scattered around. If there was anything of value, someone had taken it a long time ago. But what was in there was, you know, like an old chair missing a leg. Most conspicuously, there was a mattress in there, an old mattress. And there were toys scattered around like old broken toys. There was a telephone on wheels. It had big eyeballs bugging out of the front of the phone. And when you'd pull the phone along the floor, the eyeballs would go up and down and up and down. I remember the sound of the cicadas outside. And in that dilapidated trailer, on that stained mattress, that's where it happened for the first time. On the way home, I was changed. My life was changed. I was a different person. I remember him saying to me very clearly to not tell anyone what had happened, that if I did tell someone, he would know, and then he'd come find me. This happened a few more times before I suddenly woke up and realized I couldn't spend any time with him. I couldn't, I couldn't be alone with him. I started avoiding him. I started staying away from him. I did not want to see him at all. And then, to my total surprise, he came to the, the house one day, knocked on the door and asked my mother if I was around, if I was available to help him with a chore up at his house. I hid upstairs, and after he left, I remember thinking I needed to do something about this. I needed to ask somebody for help. And so I sat down with my mother and I told her everything. I did exactly what the man had told me never to do, and that was I told her. I told her what was happening, and I asked her for help. It was such a relief for me to unburden myself of this secret. I didn't have to carry it around anymore. I assumed it would be over at that point. But my mother did something that completely blindsided me. It still gives me chills when I think about this. She told me that I must be mistaken, that the man was a nice man, that he was our neighbor, that I must have misunderstood him. There was a show that was on TV back then called Wild Kingdom. It was basically a series of nature documentaries. One of the common themes of the show was that if you attacked a bear cub, the mother, without question, would decimate that threat. Using that same logic, I assumed my mother would do the same thing for me. She was my secret weapon. But it didn't, in this situation, work that way. And I didn't know why. My buoyancy as a child, my, my childlike optimism, it drained out of me like air from a balloon. I wasn't worth protecting. 
I wasn't worthy of love. I must have been depressed even though I didn't know what depression was at that point. I still look at old photos from school, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. You can see that something is missing from my eyes. Something is gone and there's something new there. There's a, there's a hopelessness there. Growing up, my, my job was garbage and, and garbage day was Thursday, so I had to run the cans out to the road. And I was terrified to go outside the house by myself. So what I did is I put on my father's boots and I put on his parka, his winter parka, and I took the garbage cans out with the hood up, the hood with the ring of white hair around it. I just thought that those things, his boots and his jacket, would be enough to disguise me, to, to keep me safe. Then one day, to my total surprise, the man and his family moved away unexpectedly. I was overcome with relief. The threat, the immediate threat, was gone now. The woods around our property were safe again. My mother had become friends with the molester's wife, and because of that relationship, my mother became godmother to one of their daughters. Because of my mother's connection to this family, she had been invited to a party, a gathering, a family gathering at their new house. She was preparing to go. She, you know, she had her gift wrapped. She was going to the party. She came to me and said, you're coming with me. I couldn't believe she was serious. I said, no, you can't do this to me. I begged her not to take me. I begged her to just leave me at home. I told her, I can't go there. I can't go to this house. I, I, I can't go there. It, this is dangerous for me. But in one of the most terrifying things that happened in my, my childhood, she forced me to go. She made me get in the car. I told her I was not going to get out of the car. She made me get out of the car. She made me walk into their house. And she made me go to this party that I, I, I did not want to go to. Here was this woman who was supposed to protect me, my mother. You know, even though she had not believed me, even though she had not listened to my story, even though she forced me to be there, what choice did I have? At the very center of me, all the way down at my core, something snapped, something that would never heal again, something that would never be quite right anymore. If I just tried to stay close to her, for the duration of the event. And for the first time since they moved away, I saw him. And he walked around the fringes of this party. He was having conversations with other people at the party, but he never stopped looking at me. I just did not leave my mother's side, and I kept an eye on him. I could feel him. I could feel his presence. I could feel his awareness of me being there. I've never forgiven my mother for making me go to that place. I begged her not to take me. I remember saying, please, please don't make me go. Please. I know you don't have any faith, so it'll, it might be difficult for you to, uh, to read it, but... It worked for Aunt Linda two times. It worked for Eva and some other people. So Lisette was going to try it. So well, what is it supposed back. to do? Well, if you have faith, then you would know that St. Joseph was a carpenter. So anyway, it has something to do with the fact that he was a carpenter, and that's how you 
He helps you sell, sell your house. Where do you get the statue from, though? You can buy it online. But so that's still, it. you have to bury it like a certain at a certain depth. You have to bury it upside down. Google that, and you can read about it, and then you'll know all about it. I don't want to read it. about it. I want you to tell me exactly what you did. <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't need to. We sold our house right away. We practically gave it away. We should have never sold it for what we sold it for. What? Anyway, yeah. so that's of the poop. So. Anyway, like yeah. I said, you have to have faith. In order for you to, to do that, you have to have faith. I, I didn't you think you still it. had faith because you weren't going to church anymore. I thought maybe you gave up on No, we still, we don't go to church. I watch church on TV, so yes, we still do that. Does, does it help you through tough times? No, actually, it doesn't help me a bit with your insane father, so... Next time on Heavily Pixelated, I travel back to the woods of upstate New York. And I sit down with my mother and ask her questions that I've needed to ask her for decades. Because <laughs> it's a sunny day. The sun is bad for your eyes. Didn't you know that? Also, I talk about the game that provided me with a kind of safe place during this very difficult time. A 1980s arcade game that strands you in a maze and challenges you to stay alive. Music tracks in today's episode include Upbeat by John Luke Hefferman, Battle Boss by Boxcat Games, How the Night Came by IHNO3, and Padded by Anne Laplantine. All music tracks were found on the Free Music Archive, freemusicarchive.org. Stephen Nikolic is the show's technical advisor. Sarah Deakins is the producer. Hey, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.